G'day, it's Phil here. Sometimes you get the opportunity to build a second go at a relationship with someone and to learn with that person about things that really matter in life. Dr. Lawrence Wainwright, now at the Smith School at Oxford University, is one of those people. We first met each other when he was a lot smaller and I was a lot skinnier, and we've changed a bit since then. He's now one of the world's leading experts on sustainable leadership, and he runs an amazing program, and I have the privilege to spend this special series of the Game Changers learning from, with, in and around him about the character of leadership, and in particular the four dimensions of leadership, personal, tactical, strategic, and global. I'm excited. I can't wait. Let's go. Before I start my conversation with today's Game Changers special series guest, Adriano, can you share with our audience a little insight into our Series 11 sponsor? Thanks, Phil. Of course. We are proud to be partnered with the School for Tomorrow and Alex Ballot Portland Education in delivering a dynamic coaching-based leadership program called Lead Now. Lead Now provides the opportunity for emerging and established middle leaders to further build towards their full potential, contributing to the ongoing high performance of the school community they serve. Head to a schoolfortomorrow.com forward slash coaching. Let's go. Hello, Lawrence. How are you? Hello, very, very well, thank you. All the better for for, for seeing you. And um, good morning, good afternoon, good evening to the uh, to all of our listeners wherever they're listening uh, in from. It's a great pleasure to be with you today, and I'm looking forward to a really uh, uh, robust and interesting, and hopefully a thought provoking um, conversation. Well, thank you. So, so am I, Lawrence, and, and, and in the spirit of full and authentic disclosure, we're going to record all four episodes of this series on one night. It's early April. It's dark where I am. It's light where Lawrence is. There's a Staffordshire Bull Terrier snoring on the couch next to me. Um, <laughs> Lawrence doesn't have that privilege himself. Lawrence, I wonder what... Well, I've, you... got, I've, got my, um, I've got my frogs in the vivarium in the background there, and since they're nocturnal, they're all asleep now, but you might be able to hear the running the running water sounds of the, uh, of there the we water. Go. There we go. Vivarium, dogs and so... frogs. Dogs and <laughs> exactly. Frogs. There it is. Um, Lawrence, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your background and, how, and what you're doing today and how you came to be in the position that you are. Yeah, thank you very much for that for that question. So, um, if I think about you know one of my greatest passions and privileges in life, it's really I think helping people to manifest their their potential in the world. And I think that became quite clear to me early on as a um, you know as a, a as both a student and a very junior um, educator. So after completing my undergraduate studies in in accountancy. Um, I very quickly realized that I didn't want to be a, to be an accountant. So I had a quick, a quick taste of it, but it wasn't, it wasn't for me. Um, I stayed on at university to do my, to do my honors degree. And this is when I first became interested in, um, in, in sustainability and, and also in this concept of, uh, of, of, of leadership. I was lucky enough at university to have taken on a number of positions of, you know, of, of responsibility of, of leadership. Um, I was very privileged and fortunate to be in those positions. And I saw those positions as a chance to be, to be in service to the students, in service to the university. So I got into a bit of a, a bit of teaching in Australia. Um, you're allowed to do a sort of casual uh, tutoring and lecturing with an honours degree and with a, a graduate certificate in higher education teaching um, teaching and learning. So I did that for a few years, really enjoyed it. But then I realised that um, to teach properly, you need sort of that, that licence to operate, which of course is the PhD. So I went over to Sweden. Um, in my estimates, probably one of the countries that does the best when it comes to sustainability, I did a master's in sustainable development, um, moved across to the University of Gothenburg in the West Coast for my um, for my PhD in the um, in the business school there in the management and organization section and uh, spent a couple of years of that program in the University of California at Berkeley, 
Following that, I went back to Sweden, had in the had in the doctoral thesis at the beginning of 2020. Um, COVID started, of course. I was supposed to be going back to the US. That fell through. Um, I was very fortunate to land a position here at the University of Oxford, where I find myself now. I'm the course director of a, a new program, the Masters in Sustainability, Enterprise, and the Environment. And this is a... Um, this is a, a interdisciplinary program where we're giving students the, uh, the broad knowledge base across the natural and social sciences and the, uh, the practical skills that they need to lead impactful change within enterprise towards net zero sustainable development. So we're saying that for better or for worse, business is the dominant institution in society. It's been responsible for a big part of the mess that we find ourselves in now, but it's also the way out of it. So let's be realistic rather than idealistic of the world. We give the students um, a, a leadership training package along the way, and we're really genuinely serious about helping them to manifest their potential, helping them to understand what configuration of leadership looks, what leadership looks like for them, and how they can best use those um, use those skills. So that's me in a nutshell: a teaching and learning oriented academic. Um, I've taught everything from uh, management and leadership through to strategy through to corporate social responsibility, sustainability. Um, I supervise students, I lecture, I, I tutor, and um, that's my that's my story. So that's your story, and you're sticking to it. Um, usually, when we do a series like this, and, and thank you for all of that detail. Usually, when we do a series like this, you sort of follow the pattern of your life, and we would do a yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But we're going to do something a little bit different in this series because we sort of want to dig down into these different dimensions of leadership. Uh, for, for each of them, I'm going to put forward a proposition or a provocation, and then we might just identify a few pieces of that and then explore what we think that means and what the implications of that for the type of students that you're teaching and the type of people that we work with all over the world who are trying to build today's learning um, for tomorrow's world. But we didn't first come across each other in this professional context, did we? No, um, of course I was a um, I was a student at Knox um, Knox Grammar School in in Sydney, Australia, um, and you were, I believe, the dean of of studies at at Knox. Is that is that the correct position? Have I does my memory serve? Oh, look, well? it was, there was something like that. It was a very, it was a very, very senior, um, senior position. And, um, you know, you always sat at the front of the, uh, front of the assembly there. And, um, you know, we obviously always, you know, looked up to, to you and the other leaders of the, of the school. So that was our first, um, our first uh, meeting. And we didn't um, have any contacts until um, probably until last year when um, when our our intermediary friend and colleague um, Dr. Stephen Middleton put us uh, put us in touch, and I was thrilled to be uh, to be reconnected to you and to hear about the things that you're up to. And obviously, we quickly came to the realization that we had a lot of synergies in what we were both doing together, and we were both grappling with some of the same questions. And those are the big those are some of the big questions that we're going to be dealing with in this in this podcast series. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a really interesting and curious thing, isn't it? You dip into each other's lives at, at different points and you get different context, I guess. You know, I'm very chuffed um, to have the opportunity to explore this sort of stuff with you. It feels like it's a very long way from uh, Wurunga 20 years ago. So, absolutely, absolutely. Um, Lawrence, why don't we dig into the model that we're going to try and build here around the Let's character of leadership and, and, and character leadership and, 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 and sort of take it from there, shall we? We, we've built up this model, if you like, around what it is to, to lead and, and the, the capabilities that one might have around contemporary leadership. Uh, we've built up a model of the character of a leader. But what we're really interested in doing in this series is exploring the dimensions of leadership. 
because it, that all assumes that to lead, one needs to relate, one needs to connect, and one needs to achieve with people to get things done together. So, and we do this on different levels. We do this on a personal level. We do this on a tactical level with teams. We do it on a strategic level with organisations, and then we do this globally as a whole. And given that you are you, you would never say this about yourself, of course, but I can. You are one. You you are one of the most knowledgeable people in the world on the whole integrated uh, notion of of global leadership and how sustainability works and and how an approach to a leader sort of cascades through these different levels. We, we can give that a go, can't we? Well, it's very, it's very kind of you to say that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very early on in my in my journey in life and um, there's there's so many things that, that, that I don't know and I'm so grateful to be in an institution like this where every day you, you soak up um, what's going on around you and, you know, the privilege to be around such an exceptionally bright, brilliant group of people, as intimidating as it can be, um, you know, my own thinking on, on on leadership, on sustainability every day is 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 often challenged, and and I'm given these opportunities to reflect on on the uh, on the underlying assumptions that I have about leadership, and to sometimes even challenge those and say, are the assumptions that I'm basing my model on still valid? And I think that's a that's a big thing to do, but it's very very exciting to have to have those questions asked of you. So yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's um, I mean, life would be pretty boring if you held all the same views that you would have held 20 years ago you know um and you have to grow and evolve and and sometimes people feel that that notion of of changing your perspective because you learn and because things happen in your life and you're you're, you're at a different stage and you, you 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 know that that sort of that sort of osmosis of ideas and experience and wisdom from those around you sort of happens and it permeates into you some people th- think that that's you know, flip-flopping or changing your mind or being indecisive or, or so on, where it's really just being responsive, isn't it? It's just, anyway, let's, let's, let's dive into this. Um, I'm going to put forward a little bit of a proposition around personal leadership, which is based on the research program that we've been doing uh, through a school for tomorrow and its, its research institute circle uh, over the last, well, more than a decade now, but a decade will do. Um, let's start and talk about this notion of personal leadership. So it's built on the premise that we need to learn to lead ourselves in order to lead others. And therefore, we also need to consider how to build meaningful and sustainable, deep collegial and professional relationships with individuals in our organisation. And to do this, we need to draw on a leadership that is built on a deeply ingrained desire for improvement, which when combined with honesty and respect for self and others, elicits a genuine interest in an affection for and a celebration of the growth and development of an individual's character, competency and wellness. Now, the strongly relational and even compelling personal qualities of so many effective leaders, both now and in the past, and their determination to set the standard and lead by example seems to drive so much of what they do, and we would hope you do, our listeners, at a personal level. We also need to, to master as many of the elements of character and competency and wellness that will underpin and help to define what outstanding performance in a team or an organisation or the world might look like. We need to learn to be sufficient and even vulnerable without generating an expectation that we are or that we need to be perfect. And while many leaders might wish to spend more time building deep relationships with colleagues, the reality is that the greater the responsibility they take on, the more limited their capacity becomes to create those relationships that they might have exercised when they practiced their craft earlier in their careers. So it's probably more effective, therefore, for the majority of individual relationships 
outside an immediate executive team or outside an, uh, just an immediate team to be built through creating targeted opportunities for connection at a personal level that inspire aspiration and motivation and engagement. Okay, that's our first proposition, Lawrence. Out of all of that word soup, where would you like to start? Where's the juicy crouton that you want to bite into first? Yeah, wow, what a what a compelling um, what a compelling proposition and a way to kick this off. And as you were talking there, there were so many things lighting up in my in my head. So I'm thinking we start with some of the really sort of basic, simple things, and then build up into some of the more complex ideas. And when I first lectured on this concept of personal leadership, I started with a really, really practical proposition to the students. And this was that you have an obligation to look after yourself as a leader, an obligation that you cannot effectively lead others um, unless you are taking care of yourself. So I started that lecture off talking about very, very simple things like um, getting enough sleep, exercising, um, having your life in order. One of the papers I I showed the students was around um, sleep deprivation and the quality of decisions that a leader makes. And the studies, um, I believe, from the Karolinska Institute in Stockholm were very, very clear that sleep deprivation leads to um, poorer quality executive function and poorer quality decision-making and through that leadership. Something that I can attest to as a frequent feature of my career in, in whatever leadership capacity I had is like, it, but it, and it sounds silly, doesn't it? It sounds silly, yeah. you know, really simple stuff. But you know, if you, it's sleep is terribly important, diet is important, and exercise is important. If you can't get those three, three things right, then you, you, you start. You, you, it's it's so interesting, isn't it? And you know, the the blood glucose levels, and we all know what it feels like to be hungry, and we can get snappy, we can get short with people. And, um, you know, having three meals a day, as basic as it sounds, um, you as a leader have an obligation to look after yourself to a certain level so that you can effectively lead um, others. Having a sleep-deprived, hungry leader whose life is in chaos, whilst we understand, of course, that there are times where self-sacrifice has to be made, and I think this is a huge element of what leadership is about, in the long term, it's essential that leaders are taking care of themselves um, and, and doing so so they can effectively lead, lead others. So that's a really sort of practical way to kick off the conversation. What are you, what are your thoughts on that on that Phil? I mean, is that you know? You know, Lawrence, I really like your thinking in this respect. I, I want to tie into this um, the conversation uh, or a conversation I had with um, uh, uh, an assistant who worked with me quite some time ago at a school, and um, and I was in the habit at that point of not attending to my own personal well-being, and I would turn up tired, and I would turn up distracted, and and so on and so on. And she pulled me aside at one point and she'd been working there for, I don't know, 20 or 25 years. She was way more senior and experienced than me, um, but allegedly I was her boss. And she pulled me into my office, closed the door, and she said, you need to understand that you will probably have 20 or 30 conversations with people today. And that for each of those people, that will be the most important conversation of their week. And if you can't stop yawning, then you are not showing those people respect. So go home and get some sleep and come back. I'll cancel your calls. And then pick it up again this afternoon and do better for those people. And ever, if you're out there, I've been trying to do better ever since. <laughs> what, a, it, what, 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 a, what a powerful example. And, you know, I can certainly relate to that with my students when I'm, when I'm, when I'm sort of chipping away at the foundations of the pyramids, um, being sleep, diet, exercise and so on and self-care and self, um, especially mental health as well. Um, you know, you can do it. You can chip away at that pyramid for a little while, but if you chip too hard, you, you're, you're sabotaging the foundations that that um, are essential to your well-being and your ability to lead um, to lead others. So, 
I'm sort of going to start moving up your sort of hierarchy of propositions. And I'm going to say that the next piece of this puzzle, and, you know, it's a bit of a cliche to our, to our listeners, but, you know, one must be a leader in their own life. They must practice what they, what they preach. They must be uh, ambitious. They must live, you know, live by a, a, a high standard of, of moral and ethical um, ob- obligations to themselves and to others. They must, um, again, practice, practice what they are, they are preaching to others and demonstrate um, leadership in all aspects of their life. And that may be pursuing goals. Um, it, could be, it could be a whole variety of different things, but it's about them, you know, showcasing the character of a, of a, of a leader in their own lives um, separate to what they're doing to lead others in their own lives, they must be a uh, they must be a leader, a personal leader. So, um, what are your what are your thoughts on that one? Oh, it's essential, isn't it? It's it's like um, so much of so much of what we do uh, when we attempt to lead others, we get wrong because we're flawed, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and we try things and we say things. But the reality is that more than anything else, it's not what we say; it's what we do, and it's who we are. That, yep. that, that, that people are modelling off all of the way through. I think one of the things that I've learned from uh, the opportunities that I've had to um, connect with lots of leaders around the world and, and to talk with lots of people around leadership is about the importance of purposefulness um, yeah. in all of this sort of stuff. I, I, I absolutely agree with you about demonstrating mastery of the different competencies uh, around what it is that you do. I think you also have to be able to not just lead by example on the same things that other people are doing. You need yeah. to be able to lead by example on the things they find difficult and, and purposefulness and finding a sense of purpose and aligning everything that you do with that. That's hard work, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's you know, and, and, and particularly when you hold yourself to a high standard and you feel as though you never quite meet that standard, but you've still got to press on regardless of that. How, how do you think the leaders of today develop their own sense of purpose, particularly young leaders, because that's, that's, that, that's the folk that you're working with. What, what are their sources of purpose? From, from, from whom are they learning about why they should be and become the people that they are? Yeah, a, a, wonderful, a wonderful question. And, you know, I'm sort of going to start with the, with the endpoints in terms of the purpose. And I think it's about finding a mode of being that, that works for you that works for others and works for a for a grander a grander cause, a, a, a purpose. And when all of those parts in your life are, are aligned every day, you are you are doing things. You're manifesting your potential in the world in, again in a way that that is is working for you. That's working for the groups and individuals that you are communicating and interacting with. And then that that higher um, that higher purpose. And it takes time to figure out what one's calling is. And in many cases, it can take an entire lifetime. And you know, in many ways, I'm still not, not overly clear as to what, what it is that my contribution um, needs to be, what my own purpose is. I think with the students, um, you know, I help them with this by, by having, having very explicit conversations about the topic, sitting down with them and saying, during our one-on-one, saying, you know, what, what excites you? What gets you out of the bed, bed in the mornings? If you could spend all day doing something, um, what, would a, what would it be? You know, how do you relate to uh, to to uh, to other people? How do you relate to yourself? I, th- I think those are some of the those are some of the starting places. And you know, some of my students have got a very very clear idea as to, as to what what their purpose is going to is going to be, and they're they're working hard on that on a daily basis. And you know, when we let them out of the walls of the University of Oxford into the world, they're they're ready to go and they're ready to go. And there are others that that are very um, that are still very unclear, and it may take them some time. It may take them a lifetime to figure out. 
um, to figure out what that is. But uh, again, I, I think that word purpose is wonderfully, wonderfully important and wonderfully powerful and, and uh, intrinsically inseparable from the concept of a of personal leadership. So then in your mind, as you're trying to look after yourself and present the best version of yourself going forward and yeah. with a clear sense of purpose in terms of what it is that you're doing, how is it that we can then connect with other people. You know, again, that's just a uh, you know, very, very good leader, um, um, very flawed leader, but very good leader um, who I had the opportunity to work with many years ago now who said, you know, if you're going to go over the top, you better make sure that the troops are following you. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's a great question again. And I, I think it's just sort of a matter of what I was saying before around having those different, um, having congruency between those three aspects, between, between yourself and between your service to others and between that 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 grand um, that grand cause and that congruency means that you can sort of get into a mode of being um, that is um, that, that that is that is unified that is compelling that is that gets you out of bed every morning knowing that um, you know if you do the things that you need to do it's gonna it's gonna serve you it's gonna serve others and it's gonna serve a, a cause but you know you touched on that that sort of theme of you know sort of going going over the top with the with with the troops and um, you know during I think the first world war many of the British officers were sitting um, you know 20 kilometers behind the lines and, and ordering um, their junior officers and and their troops to to go over the top um, but they weren't doing it themselves and you know, we we know that leadership 101 is um, is practicing practicing what you preach, leading by example, um, and and not showing um, not showing hypocrisy. So personal leadership is also about you know as basic as it sounds, leading leading by example, as I was alluding to before, and being that being that person in one's own life that others can uh, others can look up to, and maybe others can even find purpose from. So I want to I want to ask about something I haven't got worked out yet. I'm still wrestling with this one, which is about the cult of busy, the cult of Counting the hours really is what it is. I mean, I'm, I, when I was young, I always abhorred colleagues who would count the hours and sit there and go, well, "I'm only supposed to work this many hours this week." And once I reach that, I'm done. You know, three fifty-nine would tick over to four o'clock, and they're out the door, and all of those sorts of things is a habit. And and I just instinctively didn't like that. As I'm as I'm getting older and more experienced now, I'm coming to understand that um, actually there's a limit to how much you should be working what's productive and, and what's not productive and, and learning to lead by example with that as well too. I think when you're a leader, you always work longer hours and you always yes. work harder and you have to yes. because you've got that personal mastery as well as the relational work, as well as the tactical and the strategic and the global that you have to do. It just takes you longer to do what yes. it is that you're doing. And even when you're not working, you're thinking about it all of the time. And yet we owe an obligation to those we work with to set reasonable limits in terms of what we expect them to do so that yes. they can be the best versions of themselves. What insights have you got around that one? Because if you could solve that one, I'd love it. I'd love an answer. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I'm going to throw that back to you in a second because, to be honest, I think you're probably um, you know, more informed and, and, and probably have more wisdom th than I. But I think you know, the leader needs to be the first one there turning the lights on and the last one to go, to go home. On the football field, they need to be the one who's rearing to go half an hour before welcoming people to the to the field and again they need to be there when the floodlights are, are turned off and, and yes it's taxing it's tiring the hours are long and this this glorification we have of leadership as being this um you know being this charismatic person behind a microphone giving a rousing speech and you know having the corner office and and so on you know it's it's not it's not right in my eyes i mean leadership is is it can be lonely it can be a, it can be a very very hard slog with very very long hours and you are you're responsible for other people, and it's not about you. Um, you need to look after yourself, of course, but it's about 
about you and and your relationship with other with other people. And I agree, sort of this 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 cult of kind of of, of you know a busyness. And you know, you see people on LinkedIn boasting about how they worked a sixteen hour day and so on. Of course, we know that um, busyness does not mean that people are getting things done. You know, there's surface level work and there's and there's deep work. Um, you know, when you're really uh, when you're really sort of in that in that flow state where you're actually getting things done. And I think a lot of leadership actually happens in that flow state. The real thinking, um, uh, you know, that needs to be well, the thinking and activities that are there to support others can only happen when you're actually uh, getting in those deep deep states. But yes, leadership um, requires requires long. Um, Long, long hours for the for the leader, and that that should be the that should be the case. Um, you know, for those for those who the leader is lucky enough to be to be working with, to be um, to be to be serving, I think the leader needs to be looking out for their for their well being and putting reasonable limits um, around those people's um, around around their working responsibilities and so on, and and being quite clear about that. I also think you know if. If people are counting down the hours until they have to go home, um, I think there's a big problem there. I think um, well, they're in the wrong job, really. If that's well, the they are, and I think I think many people are. You know, we sort of had this idea, unfortunately, that everyone should have a career and everyone should sort of find um, purpose and meaning in what they do. But the reality is, is that most of us actually just sort of have 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 jobs rather than than careers. And I don't know why that is, but you know, a lot of us do count down. To the weekend, and um, and we're looking forward to that Friday afternoon when we can log off and leave work behind, and have the two days in the weekend when we can really um, get as far away as possible from work. I'm very fortunate in my job, and I think you can definitely say the same. That for me, work and life are, are, are completely blurred together on the basis that I, I truly love what I do. I find a lot of a lot of meaning, um, a lot of meaning in it. So, if there are people who one is leading that are counting down the hours and they're, they're checking the watch, um, I think. As a leader, you need to be asking them questions about: Are you in the right position to manifest your potential? Am I not supporting you enough as a leader? Are there is there a role that could better suit your your configuration of, of personality traits of your of your interest and so on? So yeah, those are my those are my opening thoughts. But I, I'd love to throw this question to you now. No, I'm not going to answer it further because I don't really think I can improve much on what you've just said there, mate. I think it's I think you are right about the first to leave, the first to arrive and the last to leave and turning the lights off. I think that's just it's just what you do, but you do it because you feel that that's what you should be doing. You're not yes. doing that because somebody's telling you to do that. And secondly, you're doing right. that, that's just an it's an impost. And at that point, you know that whatever it is you're doing. You know, you're not. Uh, you're probably not in the right place. Um, that's not to say you don't have days where you're looking forward to the weekend or, or days when you're just sitting there going, oh, gee, of course. You know, I can remember any number of junior school music concerts that I had to sit through and and dance recitals and things like that. And as and and as and as and as our listeners will know, I I have I have nothing much good to say about soccer you know association football <laughs> and sitting there and watching endless soccer games and thinking oh gee <laughs> but but at the end of the day it's you're doing it i think because there's there, there's a love for what you're doing and a love for the people around you um you mentioned the c word in the middle of um your your extremely erudite sort of uh management of that 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 problem of how do we how do we manage business busyness and that's the c word i mean of course is charismatic do you think it's necessary as a leader to be charismatic? Yes, I mean, well, it's 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 a tough one, isn't it? I mean, charismatic leadership is one of these sort of models or these typologies that we have within the literature as being a certain um, a certain you know style of leadership where 
the the charisma, the energy, the enthusiasm of the leader um, is is inspiring to those around. And you know, sometimes a person gets behind a microphone and walks in a room, and their very presence, um, you know, gets people looking up and saying, "Okay, who, who is who is this person?" They're they're sort of tapping into something. They're tapping into something um, within me. And I mean, I, but I, I also think that again, this stereotype of leadership um, as being a, a charismatic extrovert um, is simply not the case um, for many people. And leadership comes in, in many, many different forms. And the, uh, the softer, quieter, um, thoughtful introvert who doesn't have that big presence walking into a room, but may have wiser, profounder things to say and may be better suited to dealing with a, um, to dealing with a potentially dealing with a, a crisis or a very challenging situation that the charismatic leader leader may not be able to deal with. So it's, it's, it's a tough one. I mean, I tend to lean more towards the idea that a leader does have to have some charisma. They do need to have some flair. They do need to have that Barack Obama, you know, captivating behind the microphone, you know, ears prick up and listen and the person has something about them. Now, the question, of course, is, you know, can you, can you teach this? Can you teach charisma? You know, is it, is it nurture or nature? And um, to some degree, I think, I think it is, it is nature. And we know that, you know, configuration of the big five personality traits is to some, to, to a much of a degree, it's, it's fixed and one can't, you know, change whether they are an introvert or an extrovert. And again, I, I don't think it's a matter of forcing one to be someone different to who they are. But, you know, if one is very, very quiet and the situation calls for a degree of, of, of enthusiasm and charisma, uh, charisma, then I think the leader needs to read the room and, and, and turn it on when, when, when necessary. And that doesn't mean faking it, but it means adjusting a little bit to the, to the situation. So, um, yes, I think charisma is very, very important. So what are, what are your thoughts on, on that one, on the C word? I, I'm, I'm not sure that being an extrovert or an introvert really matters because some of the most charismatic leaders that I've met and, and had the opportunity to work with and learn from are deeply introverted people. Um, yes. But they haven't, they have presence. Presence, I think, is absolutely essential. I think if you're unassuming, you know, it's, 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 it's difficult to hold a room, you know, it's, and, and particularly when things are going wrong, if you're unassuming, then people will mistake um, diffidence disinterest i think more than anything else um you know yes. so you, you you i think presence is really really important i think engagement with the people in front of you i think is terribly terribly important and i think you can teach that 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 i'm not sure i mean you i think i think you can teach body language and i, I think you can teach people how to project them project their physical presence um you can yes. teach people how to use their voice and in particular you can teach people how to treat the person in front of them as being the most important person right there and then. But gee, it helps yes. if you can do all that stuff naturally, doesn't it? I mean, you know, mind very, you, very well said, I mean. you know, if money, if, if we were very good at everything, um, then we'd have nothing to learn along the way, would we? You're, you're, you're absolutely right. And, um, you know, on the introvert extrovert thing, I mean, I, I myself am actually very, you know, more on the introverted side and, um, and, you know, I have had to work on, on um, you know, on becoming a bit a bit louder, and um, you know, potentially, um, you know, being conscious of my body language, and of course, you know, when one's nervous in front of a room, they tend to do the old, you know, touching the neck, showing vulnerability, rocking from side to side, making themselves smaller, and so on. And those are things that can be um, those are things that can be can be can be learned, and they can be they can be improved. I also love what you say around um, the rich conversation, the meaningful conversations and making that person that you're speaking to the most important thing in the room. And as a leader, it's not about you. It's about the person that you are, that you are in service of and the conversation needs to, 
not be about, well, this once happened to me and there was a time where that, well, I did that as well. It's about you zipping up and, and asking questions. And as you say, making that person feel as though they are the most important person in the, in the, in the room. And um, it's, it's a lot of thing, you know, a lot of managers do this very, very poorly. And, you know, this gets into sort of the divide between what's a manager and what's a leader. And I think in the corporate world, there's a lot of very, very mediocre mid-level managers who go into these one-on-one meetings and they're not making eye contact. They're talking about themselves. They're, you know, their mind's on something else and the person there is not feeling uh, very valued, not feeling very important. And, and that leads to problems. So, Yes, it's, um, it's very easy to let somebody feel as though you're an inconvenience. Yes. Um, you know, that you're, you're something that's getting in the way of them and, and, and where they want to get to. Um, but, you know, I, I think that inconvenience is just your job, isn't it? <laughs> a lot of the time, yes. it's, you know, and, you know, was it, I think it was, um, I think it was, it was either Bulow or Clausewitz who said the first casualty of war is the plan, you know. So yes, any, yes. Any, 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 any leader who values the plan over the people um, really doesn't know what they're doing, I think. Um, you know, you've got to, you, and you've got to be prepared for the reality that it doesn't matter what your intention is and it doesn't matter what approach you you're thinking about you can't carry people with you and you can't adjust what it is you're doing to allow them to be in the space with you and to feel as though they're important and they're valuable then um something really going to happen is this lawrence um we're getting close to the end of this first conversation is there one more direction that you'd like to take this first conversation on personal leadership yeah look i'd like to sort of go back to the big picture proposition that you that you started with and Obviously, we've sort of, you know, we've built a couple of those pieces in the into the into the pyramid. But I think there's almost sort of a a, a sort of a like a metaphysical, a, a philosophical sort of something that's sort of overarching this conversation that we haven't quite quite tapped into yet. And you know, I, I sort of like to throw to you as to you know to you know we started with this proposition, and you know, what what do you think is is sort of overarching all of these you know all of these pieces? Uh, people matter. That's yeah. what it is. People yeah. matter. You know, it's like we're, we're here for people. That's what we're here for. We're not here for ourselves, um, although we are one of the people, you know. So we, we are both, you know, it's, it's like being in, a, in the world but not of it kind of thing. So you're one of the group. You're one of the people there. Yes. But, but people matter. And I think if you don't feel as though people matter or you feel as though people are beneath you or you feel that people are contemptible or deplorable or despicable or choose any other words in and around that notion of caring for and valuing and serving other people then you really shouldn't be leading should you <laughs> it's like you no know, you've got, no you've got no business leading if you don't like people very very well said and um you know I, I think for me the you know the umbrella that overarches and encapsulates everything we've spoken about today is really this idea of of of, of service service uh, to yourself to manifest the best version of yourself you can in the world um, most importantly, service, service to others, um, servant leadership, looking after and, and leading, um, you know, leading by example for those people who you have the privilege of, uh, of serving in your position of leadership. And for me, that really is the glue that ties, that ties this personal leadership conversation together. To serve others well, you need to serve yourself well. You need to be in a mode of being that has the best possible chance of manifesting your potential in a way that is going to work for you, that's going to work for others. And that it's going to uh, enable others that you are um, that you are serving to find their purpose um, and to uh, to manifest their best version of themselves in the in the world. Bravo! What a great way to finish this first conversation on on dimensions of leadership and and looking at personal leadership, Lawrence. 
Listeners, we're going to come back next week and talk about tactical leadership. Right now, Lawrence and I are going to go and get a cup of tea and have a think about what we're going to do to prepare for the next conversation. (laughs) Thanks, Lawrence. That was an awesome first chat, and I'm looking forward to the next one. Thank you very much, and thank you uh, to all of you for listening uh, listening into this. I hope you found this uh, useful and or interesting. Game Changers is a podcast for those who want to change the game of school. Produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions and powered by a school for tomorrow, Game Changers is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play and SoundCloud. Tell your friends and don't forget to subscribe. Let's go.